So let me, let me tell you why we're training like we are this year. Um, a lot of times we do our training in-house, and this year we're doing a little different. So first, the, we want to communicate once again that we know the sacrifice you make, the responsibility that you take in people's lives. And so our, one of our high values is to, is to match privilege to responsibility. So we wanted to give you the privilege of high-quality training that you can use in your personal life and in your leadership both. And then the, the second is, is this, the priority of theology. We are a church. We're the church of Jesus. The Bible is his word. And so there's a lot of good and important things we could talk about, but we, wanna, we really wanted this year to emphasize and prioritize just instruction in theology. And, th and then the third is, is why Dr. Allison in particular, because there's other theologians out there, and there's a couple of reasons why him. One is he is a world-class theologian. I'm, I'm just started the fourth book um, that he's written that I'm reading. He gave me on the Holy Spirit. It's good already. But then he's a practitioner. And I've known, I've known theologians and I've known practitioners, and sometimes they're both, and he is both. Was a missionary for years. Him and his wife was a missionary for years. One of their sons is a missionary. And so he practices and he invests in people. And so I've watched that. Before he came, I said, what do you want to do? You know, do you want to, you want to have downtime? He goes, nope, I don't want any downtime. Put me to work. And so I've scheduled meeting, meeting, meeting. And so he's met with pastors in the association. He met with um, Ryan and Ginger here from KU Christian Challenge. Where are you guys at, Ryan? Thanks. Are you guys here somewhere? There you are. Hey, we're, we're, glad, we're glad you're here. And he, they came up for some training. We took him to the base. Um, he got to meet the wing commander. The wing commander gave him a personal mission brief, met with Youth Horizon staff, met with all of our staff. And he's just been investing and investing and investing. And so that's why him. And then also because we focus on the four pillars, you know, God, holistic walk with God, and, and one of the things that's often misunderstood and misappreciated is the physical pillar. And so he, if, you know, you guys, you guys got the book, and everybody in here read it cover to cover, I know, um, <laughs> embodied, but in that book, he talks a lot about a theology of the body, and it's so important. He met with Matt and, and Sarah talking about youth, and I won't, I couldn't, but I won't steal his thunder, but just the theology of the body is so important to the issues that are pressing us right now. Very, very pertinent stuff. So I'm going to um, pray, and then tomorrow, Aaron, you can say a little bit more about Dr. Allison, and let me pray for you, Greg, and then come on up. Thank you, God, for how you've gifted and called Greg Allison, and thank you for in your sovereignty you connected us, and that he was gracious to come. Speak to him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, God. Thank you. Thanks for coming out on uh, Friday evening and Saturday morning. I look forward to being with you three times. Uh, tonight we're going to do uh, the created body. Tomorrow we're going to do the gendered body tomorrow morning. And then we're going to do gender dysphoria and transgenderism for the third talk. So that'll be the kind of the practical application. What I want you to do for just one minute is to turn to the person next to you or two or three. And in your small group, I want you to discuss this statement. I am my body. Do you agree or disagree and why with this statement? I am my body. Small group, talk about it, and then we're going to share it, what you find. I am my body. Do you agree or disagree and why?
Time out, time out, time out. I didn't give you this statement. I am only my body. So if you get off on that, that's not the statement I'm asking you to uh, agree or disagree with. We should all disagree, I am only my body. So the statement is, I am my body. Do you agree or disagree and why? Keep going. Okay, do you agree or disagree and why? Who wants to be the brave first person to say agree or disagree and why? Real loudly so all of us can hear. Over here, go. Stand up, yeah. I said that we are both soul and body together and along with that, God gave us all bodies to be inside of and so we should treat them respectfully as they are God's Thank you, somebody else? Agree, disagree, and why? Hey, it wasn't that good or great of an answer. Come on. <laughs> These guys are all off on it. <laughs> Somebody else, agree, disagree, and why? Quickly. Ooh. They're scared, yeah. <laughs> that was a great answer. That was a great answer. <laughs> Go on. Stand up loudly. I, at first, I disagreed, but I, um, I, I thought they were kind of separate. But I, after reading, um, agreed that I think I am not only my body, but I am my body. I can't separate. You know, I have a soul, and we will one day have new bodies, so we will always be body. Okay, one more brave person, somebody else, agree, disagree, and why? Maybe to help gain some clarity, these would be kind of other statements kind of along this line, I am my body. I am who I am principally in virtue of the fact that I have the body I have. I am Greg Allison principally in virtue of the fact that I have this body. Or if I had a different body, let me say I switched out my body with Terry or Aaron, or switched out my body with that of my wife, I would be a completely different person. And without this body, I do not exist. And I am myself as my body. That's, that's this big idea, I am my body. As Frederica Matthews Green, a theologian, offers, the initial impression that we stand critically apart from our bodies was our first mistake. We are not merely passengers riding around in skin-tight race cars. Rather, we are our bodies. They embody us. So here's the big idea for this first talk tonight on the created body. God's design for us is that we are embodied people. This is by divine design. So embodiment, having a body, being in a body, is the proper state of human existence. God has designed us human beings to be embodied, to have bodies, to be in a body. This is the proper state of human existence. And when we can embrace our bodies, right, as God's design for us, I think it helps clear up negative attitudes 
about the body and some of the many struggles with which people wrestle today. We have a current context and problems that arise when we talk about embodiment. Uh, the first one's going to be an overemphasis on, on our embodiment, and the second will be an underestimate, on, uh, underemphasis on our embodiment. So the, first, the overemphasis on embodiment. We're troubled by our bodies because we have this cultural, so societal notion of what the perfect body is to be. So men, we have a phantom notion, a culturally determined view of what a man's body should look like. Women, you have a culturally determined vision, dream of what a woman's body should be like. And we are troubled by our bodies because rarely, maybe never, our actual bodies do not live up to, do not meet that societal, that cultural standard. We always fall short. And so all of us, sometime in our life, will wrestle with body image problems. That is, what is a, what's our body image? It's when we look at ourselves in the mirror, when we think about ourselves, when we perceive our bodies, we, we have a certain idea, we have a certain construction in our mind. And that reconstruction may bear little or have no resemblance whatsoever to our actual bodies or how other people see us. And so we have this notion, we have this idea, we have this perception, this feeling about our bodies, but they never measure up, which then leads to self-harm. It leads to mistreatment of the body, which can take on many different forms of harm or abuse, like gender dysphoria and the phenomenon of transgenderism or transageism, transracialism, transspeciesism, the obesity epidemic, anorexia, bulimia, compulsive exercise, body modification, selfie dysmorphia, and all these other problems because we wrestle with our body image. 98% of women, sometime in their life, will wrestle with their body image. 92 or so percent of men, at some time, some point in their life, will wrestle with their body image. It's an epidemic. It affects everybody in our society. Because we have this phantom notion, phantom notion of the perfect body, and our bodies never live up to that. There's also, however, an underemphasis on embodiment. And this goes back to an ancient worldview called Gnosticism, which elevated the uh, soul or spirit, our immaterial aspect, above our physical, our material, our body. So the soul or the spirit is inherently good. It's the good part of us. It's the real part of us. It's who we really are. And our bodies are inherently evil. They are obstacles to God's work in our life. If we could just get rid of our bodies, if we could escape the prison of our bodies, then we could really follow Jesus. We could really follow God and be the kind of people he wants us to be because our bodies are sin-ridden. We need to get rid of them. This is the old form of Gnosticism. Neo-Gnosticism, which is kind of a, a new version of this, may not say the body is inherently evil and our soul is inherently good, but it may take on this form. Um, our soul is the good part of us 
The body isn't inherently evil, but it's not as important as our soul, our immaterial being. So we spend our time saving souls, and we engage in spiritual disciplines. When was the last time you read anything about or did a Bible study on physical exercise? We don't talk about that because, again, we're tinged with this idea. The soul is the most important. It's the best part of us. And our body may not be inherently evil, but it's secondary importance. So this leads then to various problems with the body. Others imagine human embodiment as a mistake. Our favorite author, C.S. Lewis, who we always listen to, we shouldn't listen to him now, but I'm going to say what he has to say. He goes, the greatest joke, the greatest joke is our body. Talk about disparaging our physicality. Such neglect, neglect of the body will often manifest itself in indifference towards exercise and proper nutrition and rest and sleep just kind of a general apathy towards human embodiment. Why waste even a second of our life caring for our bodies, exercising, caring about what we eat? Because our body's going to be sloughed off at death anyway, so any time considering the body, working out, uh, eating correctly is a complete waste of time. Those, that's an underemphasis on embodiment. A theology of a human embodiment that I want to talk about today and tomorrow, which focuses on our created body as God's design, provides a foundation from which we can address these body image problems and this neglect of, this dismissal of our embodiment. But why do I affirm this view of human embodiment? Why do I insist I am my body? Will you turn with me in the Bible to Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Amazingly, the very first chapter in the Bible addresses the topic we're talking about tonight and tomorrow. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and exercise dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's look at these three verses. Verse 26 presents the divine deliberation, God's a purpose or design to create a being more like him than any other created being. Uh, a being that would be created in his image. So this is the, the divine deliberation, the divine purpose. So the Father, Son, Holy Spirit uh, deliberate together purpose to create a being, human beings, that are more like him, more like God than any other being more than plants, more than fish, birds, livestock, creepy things, even angels. We are more like God than any other created being, and this is by 
God's design. Verse 26 is God's deliberation. This is the plan. This is the purpose. It's the blueprint. Verse 27 is the actualization of that plan. The blueprint, the design, and here's the outworking. This is the product, if you will. God creates human beings in his image to reflect him in the world in which we live and to represent him in this world. So verse 27 is the actualization. God puts this plan into action and he creates us, human beings. And then verse 28, we call this the cultural mandate. This is God's purpose for all his created human beings. Is we, we call it the cultural mandate, the uh, command to build society for all human beings to work together to create and develop civilization. Now, importantly for our purposes here, there are two aspects to this uh, cultural mandate, two emphases on what we should be doing as human beings. The first is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's procreation. Second, subdue it and exercise dominion over the rest of the created order. Let's call that vocation. We've got procreation and vocation. Amazingly, importantly, the only way for us to carry out this cultural mandate consisting of both procreation and vocation is if we're embodied. The proper state of human existence is embodiment because God has created us for the purpose of procreation and vocation which can only be carried out by embodied human beings. God's created embodied image bearers. Let's do a little theological reflection on what we've just read in Scripture. Embodiment is an essential feature of God's holistic creation of us. There is another realm of created beings, the angelic realm, the angels. They are immaterial, they are spiritual, they are not physical. Yes, angels can occasionally appear in physical form, that's not their normal way. That's not their normal nature. God created them, according his design, to be immaterial, to be spiritual. God created us human beings not to be immaterial only, not only to be spiritual beings, but to be physical, embodied human beings. So we are what we are embodied by God's design. And so we're different than angels. And it's not true that when we die, we become angels. I have heard, though, that systematic theologians sometimes can be angels. <laughs> they don't like that idea. Okay, but maybe here's a question in your mind. What happens when we die? Between our death and our resurrection, the technical term is called the intermediate state, intermediate between our death and Jesus' return, we are disembodied. We are only uh, we're disembodied persons. So Aaron, at 97 and a half years old, dies. And his body is sloughed off. It's put in a tomb, a grave, buried at sea, cremated, whatever it is. And he goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. But he's disembodied. And Terry's been up there for a couple more years. right? And so they, they meet. right? And they're, they're worshiping the Lord. And they're having great fellowship. And they're talking together. And they go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How is it possible we're worshiping God and we're talking and enjoying fellowship when we don't have a tongue, we don't have a voice box, we don't have limbs, we don't have 
there's no physicality to us. How is that possible? I have no idea. But I affirm that in heaven, we will be disembodied. But the last time I was in heaven, I felt, I anticipated, I longed for, that's a joke, I longed for my re-embodiment at the return of Jesus Christ. Because I knew, we will know that we're not fully human when we don't have bodies. Because the proper state of human existence is embodiment. And we're not embodied in heaven. So we, we are and we cannot be fully human. And secondly, we can't be fully redeemed by Jesus Christ because his work of redemption is us as whole people, not just as disembodied people. And perhaps more importantly, we in heaven, being disembodied, we cannot be fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, who is the God-man who in heaven has a body. He is embodied. He's the embodied God-man. So we look at that intermediate state and we long for it. But in my perspective, that's an abnormal state. It's not the way it's supposed to be because the proper state of human existence is an embodiment and we're not embodied in heaven. So we should not allow that abnormal, that unusual state to dictate what is true, most true about us. We're really our soul and our body is only accidental. I disagree with that. Let's return to the cultural mandate that we looked at in Genesis 1.28. The purpose of God's creation of us as embodied divine image bearers can be summed up, as I did, in two interrelated aspects, both of which are to contribute to human, human flourishing. The first, as I mentioned, is procreation. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What does this mean practically? It means practically the vast majority of human beings will be married, a man and a woman, and the vast majority of couples, married couples, will have children. And this is by divine design. Yes, God also calls some to be single, not just to be married. And yes, it's true that some married couples are infertile, can't have children. But the general plan for most people is for them to be married and to have children. This is by divine design, and obviously that takes embodied, an embodied man and an embodied woman. Likewise, vocations, subdue the earth, exercise dominion over the rest of the created order, is work. We live in a physical universe. We live in a uh, physical world. And so the work that we do requires us to be embodied human beings, physical embodied human beings. And so we carry out this divine design, this cultural mandate, this command to build society. We have to be embodied. This, again, is by divine design. As Timothy Tennant in his book, For the Body, says, human beings bear the divine image through fruitfulness and reproducibility, and human beings bear the divine image through the exercise of dominion, being co-regents with God in his rule and reign in the world. So the proper state of human existence is embodiment. This is God's design for us. This leads to a question of application. Are you thankful for God's creation of you as an embodied human being? Are you thankful 
for God's creation of you as an embodied person. Back in your small group, two minutes, answer that question. Are you thankful that you, God has created you as an embodied human being? Are you thankful for that, and why or why not? Two minutes in discussion. Who's ready to answer the, the, the question? Are you thankful for God's creation of you as an embodied person, embodied human being? Again, so that everyone can hear, stand up, say yes, no, and why. Sometimes I am when it works. When it works, yep. Yeah. Oh. And it's usually in those times when we become aware of the fact of our embodiment because it's not working right. Otherwise, we just kind of sail along without realizing it. And God reminds us through vertigo and those other things, you are embodied. And we're implicated in our embodiment, right? It affects your entire being when your ear's off, when you have vertigo. Somebody else, thankful, not thankful, and why? Yep. I think a really cool example that has made me very thankful for my environment is just becoming a mother and having children. Okay. And just how what an awesome connection that is because you're very much aware of your body and what your body's doing and how but also your identity as a mother and how that affects who you are and your personhood and all of that. So I feel like that's a really good example of like a strong connection there. So your identity, your personhood, is you are a woman who has, has children. Right. Yep. A mother. A mother, yes. Your, your foundational identity, though, is you're a female image bearer. Your role becomes that of wife and mother. But your identity is not your role because there are men and women who are not married aren't fathers, aren't mothers, but they're still fully human. They're still by God's design, aren't they? And that's their authentic identity, their fundamental identity. Absolutely. Very good. Somebody else? One more? Thankful for God's creation of you as an embodied person? I don't think your wife's happy with you right now. <laughs> okay, so I've, I've talked for uh, 25 minutes and I've asked you questions. You got five minutes, you can ask me questions. Anything particularly of clarification, disagreement, pushback, any question about created body? We're not going to talk about transgenderism yet or gender. That's coming. Anything on what we've just talked about? Any questions you have? Yes. Stand up. Why did the, why did the Gnostic, 
Gnostic idea that our bodies are less important, uh, why has that become kind of what the church has also adopted in some ways? The, the church from the very beginning has been infected with Gnosticism, which goes back centuries before Jesus' time. It really wrestled with it. But the church also knew that Gnosticism was wrong because God created a physical universe, which is very good. And God created human beings in his image and were embodied. And when God decided to rescue us fallen human beings, he sent his son to become the embodied God-man, right? And we will be resurrected, we will be re-embodied, and we will live in a new heavens and a new earth, which is a physical reality. So the church has pushed back against Gnosticism, but still fallen into it. So, um, and when you don't have a strong biblical worldview, a theologically sound worldview, sometime, centuries, millennia afterwards, it's going to catch up with you, and it's catching up with us right now. And that's the demise of the Christian worldview. Somebody else? Yes? Yeah, I was wondering if you could kind of review or talk over again what you were saying about when we're in heaven. Part of this is not complete, but I'm trying to understand that because it seems like heaven is a complete fulfillment, so are we not going to know that we're not complete? Because that doesn't happen either. So help me piece that together. So we will be in the presence of the Lord, and it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Uh, yeah, it does. When we're in the presence of the Lord as glorified, re-embodied human beings. So my mother died a few years ago. My mother was racked with pain. She had scoliosis, complete collapse of her bones. Everything was horrible. And I still remember at her memorial service, people coming up, oh, you know, Winnie, can, she can run now. She can catch butterflies. and She can do all those things she couldn't do. And I, I just respectfully said, well, thank you so much, but it's not true. My mother, being a follower of Jesus, is in heaven worshiping Jesus. But I think she has a sense that she's not complete because she doesn't have a backbone which is straight, a glorified body where she can actually run in the new heavens and the new earth. And I think she longs for the return of Jesus when she will be completed again, all of her pain and suffering completely gone and uh, never to be remembered again. And she will be fully human, including her body. She'll be fully saved, and she'll be fully conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. She can't be right now. Still, it's a glorious place. But I think we often say, oh, my greatest hope is to die and go to be with Jesus. That's your next to greatest hope. The greatest hope is the resurrection, return of Jesus and the resurrection, being with him forever, worshiping him in the new heavens and the new earth, and I will be 6'10", 275 pounds, dunk over LeBron James in his prime. So I can't wait. One more, 30-second one, yes. It's like there's a lot of talk among Christians about fighting against their sin nature. Yes. Yep. So I feel like that is, a, I mean, that's one of the three enemies of the Christian. Yes. World, Satan, and our flesh. This is, is, it, is it the world, uh, Satan, and our body? Is that what we fight against? Is, that, is this the flesh? Come on. No. So when you read 
walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh, don't think, I got to get outside of this body, this flesh. By flesh, Paul means our sinful nature. That's what we battle against. But our sinful nature is not attached to this body. Our body is not inherently evil. It's not the only reason why we have disruption in our relationship with God. Every part of us is corrupted, including our bodies, but it's not the ultimate source of sin. But Jesus comes and rescues us, and one day will glorify us in the new heavens and the new earth. The proper state of human existence is embodiment. Let's, I'll pray for you. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would embrace what we have treated uh, this evening, and they would be full of thanksgiving for the fact that you have created them as embodied beings. And even as we wrestle with body image problems and we really wonder about our body and we also, at times, we disregard our body. I pray that we would have better habits in which we embrace our embodied personhood and be thankful that you have created us this way. To your glory, in Christ's name, amen.